Welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration of America. I'm your host, Jerry Ewalt, Chief Marketing Officer for Restoration of America. And today we are blessed to have a first-time guest, Ellie Krasny-Cohen, an independent researcher focusing on religion, education, and parents' rights. Ellie is a senior fellow with the Independent Women's Forum, Parents Defending Education, and American Enterprise Institute. Well, Ellie, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'll, I'm going to ask the first question, and I, I, I need to know, what what is school choice? Absolutely. So at a very high level, school choice is different states giving families the freedom to choose where their children go to school irrespective of their household income, their geographic area, um, religious affiliation, any of those things. Mm-hmm. So you, you, it's a choice. So it, why is it so controversial then? You hear so much about it that people are fighting it all the time. Why, why is that? It sounds logical to me. It is logical. Um, if I could tell you why it was controversial, I probably wouldn't work on the issues that I do, but I'll do my best to give it a fair shake. Um, Some of the opponents of school choice, and I'm not advocating for this, I'm just sort of explaining the perspective, they, um, I would say, falsely believe that it is using taxpayer money to fund religious schools or religious affiliation. Mm -hmm. Or some of the opponents of school choice would say that school choice only makes private schools accessible to the wealthy. both of those things are false so going back to the religious liberty issue the supreme court has actually ruled um, once or maybe twice that school choice um, does not violate the separation of church and state the second point that school choice only helps high-income families that could not be further from the truth I actually grew up in rural Iowa, and I can tell you um, that school choice, or in Iowa where they just passed a bill, school choice helps a lot of low-income families. In fact, high-income families tend to already live in areas with very good public schools, or their household incomes are such that they can afford to send their kids to private school. What school choice does is it opens up that opportunity for all families. Um, so I know that was a little mm-hmm. bit of a mouthful, but I hope I touched on the important stuff. No, I think that's important because one of the one of the pushbacks on this is that it only benefits wealthy people. You just debunked that and showed that that's not true. It actually is is maybe even more proportionally helping um, less uh, fortunate people that uh, uh, families that don't have the money. Um, Absolutely. So in Iowa, my home state, where, as you may know, they recently passed a school choice bill, the bill is really targeted at families um, whose incomes are on the lower side. So, for example, the bill that was passed would really benefit a family of three whose household income is below $69,000 a year. In Florida, the average household income of families using their largest private school choice program, that average household income is just over $37,000 a year. So you are absolutely correct. These programs help the families who need it most and could otherwise not afford to send their kids to private school. Yeah, and I I think it's it's, it's a good topic to start with because, um, you know, as we we dig deeper into the interview, we're going to talk about some of the uh, the, the various topics that are being taught to our kids, especially in public schools, but it, it could be private as well, that, that um, are, are not appropriate, uh, as we'll get into. And so having the choice of where to put your kid is even more important. Ha- the, allowing the parent to make the choice as opposed to the state 
of what is being taught and where their kids need to go. Absolutely. This is a choice that parents should make, not the government. A popular saying right now is, I don't co-parent with the government, and mm -hmm. I could not agree more. Parents um, can and ought to be responsible for the education and the upbringing of their children. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, so let's, uh, we, we can't have a school topic uh, a discussion around school without getting into critical race theory. I think it's everyone's favorite topic, unfortunately, to talk about. And, you know, so CRT has been exposed as being part of a Marxist agenda. It really separates people into different categories or different groups, drives wedges between them based on gender, uh, race, or sexual orientation. And we, we know this, but yet we still see CRT throughout so many different uh, curriculum throughout the country. So what, what is going on here and how, how do parents, how can they identify what's going on and what their kids are being taught? Yes, it's a very good question. So the number one thing I would suggest to understand what your kids are being taught is get involved in your local school. Meet your children's teacher or teachers, get to know other parents, show up at parent-teacher conferences, go to the school board meetings, and really listen and explore what's being taught. Ultimately, parents and schools have to work together to create great education for America's kids. Um, the last thing that I'll offer regarding that is listen to your kid, ask those open-ended questions, um, take a look at their homework, show empathy, and you're going to find out some really interesting things. I have some little nieces, they're the most wonderful people in the world, and it's fun to ask them about school and hear what they're doing. Um, fortunately, where they go to school um, in Iowa, I haven't heard anything bad or suspicious, but it's a great way to build that relationship and really find out what's going on in school. Wait, are you um, saying I actually have to ask my kids questions and, and listen to what they're saying? Is that what you're, is that what you're promoting right now? <laughs> Even if they're teenagers, you have to, yes. <laughs> oh, easier said than done. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I, I think um, it, it's so important, right? We got to get involved with our kids. Uh, I, I, you know, I always reflect on my own uh, experiences with my children. Prior to COVID, you know, I was busy doing my thing, and you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't as engaged as I should have been uh, with kids in school. But then when COVID hit and all this stuff started coming out, it wasn't just COVID and masking and vaccines. It was also then CRT, LGBTQIA+ agendas and things like that that people really started to get involved and in asking their kids questions in addition to that. So, so it's so important if, if you haven't already done that, you have to get involved and you have to start somewhere. You have to have those conversations with your kids and you need to go to a school board meeting. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, Ellie, one of the interesting things that I, I didn't realize this, but you opened my eyes to this about CRT is that it um, it's, it's responsible for most of the left, uh, the left's anti-Semitic uh, uh, part of what they're they're pushing is related to CRT. I, I never thought of it that way. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So, kind of like opponents of school choice, it's a deeply flawed logic, but I'm going to try to give it a fair shake <laughs> in our conversation today. Um, so taking just a couple giant steps back, when we look at the intellectual history of critical race theory, it does, as you said, um, posits people as either victims or oppressors based on traits like 
their skin color or um, their, their biological sex or what have you. And it creates this kind of oppressor and oppressed paradigm. Unfortunately, within that paradigm, it uniquely targets Jews because when we look at left-wing anti-Semitism, their logic, and I, I use that term in the loosest sense of the word, posits Jews by virtue of their Jewishness as oppressors hmm. because they view their Jewishness as being part and parcel of having economic success, outside power and influence on media and in politics. Uh-huh. And so that's what drives that. So when we hear these really vile things like powerful Zionist Jews or mm-hmm. um, the Israel lobby or those things, in short, that's really what those people are saying. They're saying wealthy, powerful Jews are wealthy and powerful because they're Jews. Mm-hmm. And because of their Jewishness, they are automatically the bad guys. Um, this is obviously wrong. And I also just want to make a point here that there is a lot of ethnic diversity among the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Thanks to conversion, adoption in the diaspora, there are Jews who are Indian. There are Ethiopian Jews. There are African-American Jews. I'm an adopted Jew. Um, my husband, they are Jews from North Africa. And actually, his um, his parents were refugees from Tunisia. Yeah. So the facts on the ground really dis, um, dispel this perverse logic, but I do think as you, um, you you brought this out, it's important to talk a little bit about the how and the why of where we get to some of this left-wing anti-Semitism. Yeah, I mean, it's it's important that you bring that up, the diversity within the, the Jewish population as well, the, the diversity is there. It's not a bunch of white supremacists, because that's obviously something that um, a lot of people uh, high up are, are pushing right now is, is white supremacist approach. So it's easy to say Jewish people belong to that and they're part of that. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely I an agenda. I think a real white supremacist would actually be not too thrilled to think of Jews as white supremacists. They, t- they historically have not liked us. None of this makes any sense, Elliot. So I, the other thing I like that you're doing is you're trying to put yourself in, in the other side's shoes, right? Because you, you got to do, if you're going to understand, you're going to overcome, we're going to come together on these issues. We got to at least understand why they think this way. It seems insane and illogical to us but there's a large swath of the population that actually believes this stuff and thinks this. So it's important to understand how, why they do. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that. And it reminds me of something. I'll, I'll try my best to paraphrase the great Charles Krauthammer, but he said <laughs> that really great debate means that you can summarize your opponent's argument mm. better than they can. And while we certainly don't want to take on some of these, you know, these horrible prejudice views, it is really important to just sort of really try to get why someone would think what they think and why they would say what they would say. Because one, we wanna combat it with the truth, but two, when we see it, whether it's in the mainstream media or in universities or heaven forbid, K through 12 curriculum, we wanna be able to know it when we see it. Yeah, I mean, you know, if if people, they really believe what they're saying, right? And that's so important because it's easy for the other side to come and say, that person's crazy, they're not thinking straight. That's not really the truth. They, they actually believe that. It's, it's, um, they're very passionate about it. And if you ever encounter people like this, they, they're so passionate about it and you have to be able to see their side of it. So I, I think that's, that's so important that if we're ever gonna, 
get over, th get through this and, and come back together as, as humanity, we, we're going to have to be able to see each other's side. Absolutely. Um, and it's a really great point that you've made. And something I believe personally, and I'm still working mm -hmm. on it, is when we encounter these people who don't agree with us on these really sensitive issues, whether it's things like school choice or school curriculum or critical race theory, to try to understand why they think what they think, what's the problem they're trying to solve? Because maybe they feel that this is a very just approach. Mm -hmm. They feel that this is something that leads to more equality, or maybe they think right. it leads to more respect. And I disagree with them. I disagree with their means and their views, but maybe if we can identify a shared goal or a shared right. value system, that allows us to walk it back together in partnership. Yeah, we, we all want equality. We all want respect. It's just how we get there. And, and yes. that's, that's the key to all this stuff. And um, we can't start oppressing another group uh, and overthrowing the quote unquote oppressor to get there. And that's, that's what's being pushed at the vision, the Marxism. Uh, it, it's very clearly that's part of what they're doing. Absolutely. It is pushing an agenda of equity rather than agenda of equality. Yes. Equality says that we are all um, created the same under God. We have equal protection under the law. We have equal opportunity. We can be different, but we're all equal in the eyes of our creator. Equity says that we're all the same. And I personally think that's a pretty sad worldview. Yes, it, it is. And again, if people study Marxism, you'll, you'll realize that's all part of that. And, and so I'm going to keep yes. going into the school, uh, not school choice, but, but parental choice and what their sure. kids are learning. And so we recently learned of uh, um, the state of Maryland just revoked the right of a parent to be able to opt their kids out of learning about LGBTQIA+. And again, you can associate that with Marxism again, because that's another way of driving a wedge between an oppressor and an oppressee. So talk a little bit about what happened there and what does that mean for religious rights or just or parental rights in, in general? Absolutely, thank you for asking. Um, before I get into that, I just wanna to touch on an excellent point you made about driving a wedge. Um, I think it's also within the paradigm of leftist ideologies, a way of driving a, a wedge between children and their parents. Um, if you look at the history of any um, communist or socialist or repressive regime, they really go after the family. Um, so I just, I wanted to make sure that we touched on that before talking about this did. issue in yeah. Maryland. Um, so in the state of Maryland, just real quickly, um, parents are allowed to opt their children out of sex education or family life curriculum with which they disagree. Okay, sounds mm -hmm. normal. Recently, Maryland revoked parents' rights to do that as it pertains to subjects that kind of intersect with LGBT and gender issues. Um, some parents, of course, pushed back, and this was a mixed group of Catholic, Orthodox, Christian, and Muslim parents. Mm -hmm. They had a protest a few weeks ago, and there was also a school board meeting where some Muslim children shared their viewpoints about this, and they shared things that I think reasonable people could agree with, that it's their religious view and they want to respect everyone, but they also mm -hmm. want their faith be respected. In turn, a member of the school board, um, she said that they were on the side of white supremacists. So hmm. what a time to be alive. Uh, Muslims are white supremacists. There right? it is Not, again. Yep. Yeah, children no less. 
And I find this deeply troubling for a number of reasons. One, from a religious liberty perspective, mm-hmm. parents should be allowed to remove their children from curriculum with which they disagree. But two, I think it reflects a real cultural ill when people are willing to throw out um, the term white supremacist to anyone with whom they disagree, even yeah. if it's a child. I think that's really problematic. Um, Beckett Law, an amazing nonprofit law firm, has filed a federal lawsuit on this. So mm-hmm. I will let the courts and the lawyers kind of, um, that will shake out where this lands on the religious liberty spectrum. But yeah. I'm personally really troubled by the name calling and what it reflects about our culture. Yeah, I mean, look, the issue here, it's not that we don't acknowledge that someone decides to go down a different path of their gender or whatever it is. That's that's up to them. It, the, pro- the problem really comes in when the age of what this is being introduced. We know that kids yeah. at a very early age are very impressionable and, and susceptible to something that's viewed as hip and cool. Just look at Pride Month and, and all the celebrations going on in, in the month of June and throughout the year, but especially June. And, you know, these young, impressionable kids, they start going down a path that uh, is, is unnatural or, or not something that who they are, but they're being taught that at an early age. And it, it should be the parents' right to be able to dictate what their kids are going to learn, especially at that age. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I want to create a culture that is open and, and inclusive and accepting. But it's unclear to me when I hear about some of this material that's being introduced at a very young age in these elementary Mm -hmm. schools, that that's the way to create an an inclusive and respectful culture. I don't think children are ready for that kind of material. Yeah, and again, you bring it back to the religious concept, right? As, as, a, as a person of faith, you believe that God created man and woman, two genders. And so as, as the kids are being confused in a different direction, that goes against your religious core beliefs or your religious values. Sure. Um, so I, I do want to be clear that, you know, I think that people who are transgender should, of course, mm-hmm. be treated with dignity Absolutely. and respect and all of that. But if there are people whose religion um, runs counter to that and they don't want their children to be introduced to that, it should be their right to remove their children from that um, that educational right. curriculum. Yep. It all goes back to parent rights, right? It's, it's what, yes, as a parent, absolutely. you own your children, not the state, and what is it that you want them learning, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, Ali, this has been great. What are, what resource, there's so many topics here, we can, we can go on forever, but um, I, where can a parent go to learn more about this stuff, uh, in gen- the topics we talked about today or, or other topics, so that they can be informed and they can know their rights and they can know what's going on in their kid's life when they drop them off at school? Very good question. Um, so I would strongly recommend go to defendinged.org. It's just how it sounds, defendinged.org, Parents Defending Education has a huge number of resources for parents to really arm themselves with information and try to understand what's going on in schools and how they can partner with teachers and administrators to get things back on track. Again, creating this great education for America's kids means parents and teachers and administrators have to work together. Um, If the spirit moves you and you wanna learn about my writing, I can be found at elliekrasny.com. Well, Ellie, I, I, I am so grateful that you came on our show, but also that you're, you're dedicating your life to this very, very important topic. This is our future. And so we, we here at Restoration America, we, we really thank you for all that you're doing. 
Okay. Thank you for having me on. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting conservative media. Don't ever forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's First Right, all caps, one word, to 30161.